Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. Tonight, in a very traditional way, the Grammys will focus on the world of pop music. But the fact is, no matter how traditional the show, what's undeniable is that the world of music is nothing like it was 20 years ago. Today in your pocket is virtually all of the world's music. The long tail of music has never been longer. And yet in music, not unlike our politics, our confirmation bias leads us over and over and over again to that which we are familiar, which makes us comfortable and safe. Couple this with streaming algorithms that lead us back over and over again to where we started, and we see severe limitations being generated by the most modern of technology. Yet with so much opportunity, with so many options, how do we expand our tastes and our music imagination? One way is to start with a new book by longtime New York Times jazz and music critic Ben Ratliff. Ben Ratliff has been a jazz and pop critic for the New York Times since 1996. His new book is Every Song Ever, and it is my pleasure to welcome him back to this program. Ben, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks a lot. It's great to have you here. It does seem that our attitudes about music are, are not unlike our attitudes about politics and food sometimes. We tend to just want to do the same things and go back to the same safe places over and over again. And yet, in the music world, as you talk about, technology has, is allowing us to do so much more. We're not taking advantage of that. Talk a little bit about that first. Well, um, access is power. Uh, and access changes um, access to music changes how music is made and also changes how we listen and um, you know this is totally second nature to everybody at this point but it bears repeating just to mark this moment in the not so distant past we had limited access to music and um, you know maybe we were lucky enough to live near a record store um, we had uh, terrestrial radio stations that um, you know whose playlists were determined uh, often by you know who who what our community was like and and what it was decided that we wanted or needed to hear um, and so forth but now we have everything everybody with an internet connection has everything and um, so it just opens the question of okay now we've really got power now the listener has power now perhaps there's a new way to understand music and so what are we going to do with that power um, obviously the streaming services are coming on to us very strong and saying look let us take care of it there's so much out there just leave it to us we will we will continue to make you feel good and give you new surprises you know once in a while but just leave it to us i feel that we uh, streaming services are quite amazing at the same time we sort of have to resist um, their system of feeding us music a little bit. And their system of feeding us music based on their algorithms is essentially to reaffirm that which we have already told them that we like or what our bias is. Right. Often that is, that is true. And different services use different uh, algorithmic models. You know, um, some are like Pandora's will break down a song into its constituent um, parts or attributes, you know, um, uh, is it a male voice? Is it a female voice? Is it a gravelly voice? Is it a large ensemble? Is it small? Is it quiet? Is it loud? Whatever. And, um, and you know, 
code code music accordingly and and uh, feed you what you want. Um, uh, Spotify these days is getting very, very uh, sophisticated with a mixture of algorithms and, and human programming. So it can sort of profile you as a listening type, you know, like, are you, are you, are you a Brooklyn barista? <laughs> or, or are you a, um, you know, insurance claims adjuster from right. Topeka. You know, I don't know. Um, and uh, I just feel that listening is very, very creative. And it get, listening to music gets to the heart of uh, creating our, our identities. And that's important stuff. And we have to be very careful not to cede power. I mean, in many ways, it is reflective of, as, as I alluded to in the introduction, reflective of other things that are happening in society, politics perhaps being the most obvious, that the things that we go back to are always to reaffirm that which makes us comfortable, nothing that, that wants to sort of put us in a place where we have to really stretch. And, and mm-hmm. that seems to be a habit in so much of our lives at, at precisely the time so much more is available. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? Um, but it, I think it just takes some encouragement to to do otherwise. I mean, I just think people need to be reminded that they have what, it's not everything. We don't, you know, the, the book's title is a bit of a joke because right. we don't have every song ever. Um, there's plenty of recorded music that is not yet easily available to stream or download or whatever. And of course, there's the rest of musical history that, that was not recorded. <laughs> it is really important that is not available. But, um, you know, um, I in my job, I use streaming services every day as a reference, as, mm-hmm. a, as an easy, um, efficient uh, thing to check in on and hear 15 seconds of a song that I might not know. Um, and I, I'm, I'm astonished every day about the depth of what is there. Um, and I just, I think it's an important moment in, in musical history, as important maybe as in the late 1920s when all of a sudden, you know, the gramophone business became a, a, a worldwide phenomenon and, and records were being made all over the world. This, this, this taught people how to listen and how to think about music in a totally new way. I think something um, comparable is happening now, and we need to be aware of that. What, if anything, has emerged, or, or would you argue should emerge, in terms of making the whole business of music discovery easier? In many ways, in the early days of music, or, or the earlier days of, of the 20th century, radio played a part in that. There doesn't seem to be the mechanism in place today to really be the the catalyst for the kind of musical discovery that that we're talking about. Well, um, the the streaming services uh, have these algorithms, you know, so that they just 
keep serving up things uh, according to what it thinks your taste is. And also, you know, YouTube works the same way. Now, as soon, you know, if you if you click on a song that you wanted to hear, it'll line up something for you without you having to click any buttons that is, you know, probably related to that song. So there's that. But also, um, streaming services sometimes hire people to construct playlists. And these may be people, you know, uh, of importance. These may be musicians. They may be Beyonce. They may be Usher. Um, and uh, to choose two examples of people who have done playlists for Apple Music. And I find those really interesting. In other words, when an individual person um, with a creative mindset constructs a playlist for you, um, I still think amazing things can happen. Um, when, a, when a robot is constructing a never-ending playlist for you, fewer interesting things can happen. I mean, it used to be even clerks in record stores had this body of knowledge that were, were helpful to their customers. Yeah. Um, and of course, that's true today on a, on a much more minuscule scale, because there are still a few record stores. Um, but also, uh, yeah, you could talk to the clerks. I think talking to people about music is, uh, talking to anybody about music, friends, you know, acquaintances, teachers, your family um, is is really important uh, because we ought to be um, enlarged by music rather than reduced by it. Um, music is an amazing way of making us bigger people. Um, uh, it's it's a very direct way of teaching of learning about not only about sort of pattern recognition and things like that, but also about emotion and language and um, uh, politics, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think we have to try to surprise ourselves. And we and so this book that I wrote is is really not so much about platforms. Mm -hmm. It's not so much about where to look. Um, that's not my job. Right. What I want to do is suggest a new spirit of listening that in a sense goes against what the streaming services are doing. Um, I'm, I'm suggesting categories of listening that are not easily sellable, like re repetition and loudness and density um, and audio space. And further into the book, there are some categories that occur to me that may not occur to you or, or anybody else. Um, uh, I'm trying to link pieces of music according to these categories and provide a through line um, that totally goes against the idea of genre um, because that is what is possible for us now to listen completely against genre right because everything is out there and available to us um, 
and to understand that there are continuities between different kinds of music that might be centuries apart or continents apart or very much apart in tradition. But, you know, we as listeners are smart enough to connect them and link them up and understand that they have something to do with each other. And in many ways, that goes to, I mean, it comes around to what you were saying at the outset in terms of the importance of music, the importance of music as an idea and its role in the broader society. Is that role as important today as it was, say, in the 1960s, even to put it in a, in a more contemporary context? Well, it, I think it... <laughs> I, I read a statistic the other day, and I think it was in the Times, saying that the average person listens to four hours of music a day. I think that's what I read. Um, which uh, I, it seemed like a lot, you know? That's a, that's a lot of time. Um, so it, it, doing anything that much is going to be, um, is going to make an impression on you. Um, the importance of music is that that's the question you brought up the like like the significance how it can change our our minds change our ways of thinking is that is that what you mean right i mean in many ways some have argued i mean and you've seen these arguments you've seen this writing that technology today that that people in silicon valley are kind of the new rock stars that that that, yeah. that is really what's being more transformative to society than music, which was at other t- transformative at other times. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, um, well, I'm somebody who really believes in the power of music on different levels. Um, of course, it can express um, it, and broadcast. Um, uh, ideas about society, political positions, all that kind of stuff. At the, but you know, beyond that, um, it's it's almost medicinal, you know. Um, and and music itself uh, carries a lot of information, even music without words. Um, I, as a listener, always approach music as sound first, and then everything else later. You know, the ideas, the 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 politics whatever else um and i think that listening to for instance i have a chapter in the book about slow music and i connect things like um shostakovich's late string quartets and sarah vaughn singing really super slow ballads and um uh the the hip hop from Houston in the '90s called Screw Screw Music, popularized by DJ Screw. Um, it's all in a way of a piece. Uh, slow music makes you think about life and death and eternity and what you know. What are we here for? Um, and it and it sort of creates a space for the listener to enter and. Um, and think. Um, so, you know, I, I think that these issues are as important when we're talking about what does music mean, how does it mean, um, as songs with explicit um, 
you know, political standpoint. And it really is taking the the advantages that exist today in terms of, of every song ever, as you know, you say that's sort of an exaggeration, but so much being available, and really standing on its head the whole way in which we interact with and listen and understand music, that, that understanding it only in terms of genre was a way to do it when there was a more limited supply, when there was a finite ability to access music, and that this infinite ability, seemingly infinite ability to access music, really calls for a whole new way to, to approach it. That's totally it. That's exactly my point, yeah. I mean, I, um, I think there's a difference, by the way, between genre and tradition. I, I really like tradition, and I think that uh, a, a tradition of music um, implies um, growth and change and flexibility and, and um, uh, well, continuity through time. Genre um, implies a much uh, a static thing, a fixed state, and it implies a category for selling. Basically, I mean, I think genre is for is for merchants and for um, spectators, let's say, and and tradition is for participants and musicians, you know. And as a listener, I'd rather feel more like a participant than a spectator. Um, and so, uh, this is why I feel that we don't have to focus so much on genre. We don't have to sort of uh, agree with uh, the efficiency of selling music to us. We can listen in a bigger sense and get beyond that. I wonder if this is in a larger context for how we approach a lot of other things in society, that the change and the access and the ability to have as much as we have really needs to stand so much on its head in terms of how we approach it, that this is this is an interesting model to work from. Yeah, definitely. Well, as soon as... Um as soon as this started happening in other ways, you know, like as soon as you could have your news feed tailored to you and your interests, um, uh, it, it, it's, you know, it's very flattering to, to receive a sort of package of information that seems to be made explicitly for you. Right. It really seems like somebody giving you a gift. Um, but I, I do think that as time goes by, we might start to swing the other way and, and, and question that a little bit. Um, my understanding of how the streaming services are working and how the, you know, what the music data companies are doing is, um, is they're, they're really, they're working in the, in the direction of efficiency, you know, how to, um, how to satisfy you um, most quickly as a listener. And that, that makes perfect sense. Actually, that's, that's business. Um, I don't, what I don't think they're, what I don't get the sense they're working on is real surprise. They all use the word surprise mm -hmm. as, as a goal because it is assumed that surprise is what we all want. You know, it's, 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 delight. It's like what we live for, surprise, you know? We want at least one surprise every day. Um, but I think, well, I, I feel a little bit cynical about the kind of surprise mm -hmm. that uh, is being offered to us right now uh, in listening. 
Ben Ratliff, his new book is Every Song Ever, 20 Ways to Listen in an Age of Musical Plenty. Ben, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thanks a lot. Thank you.